Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. And Amy, so uh, Nikki Haley is off to a fast start. Uh, The six votes out of Dixville Notch, New New Hampshire, apparently were cast for Nikki Haley. That's... uh, the reporting this morning big win uh, big win yeah we'll see if that uh, what that portends uh, tonight and talk about it tomorrow we'll talk about it a little bit more later in the show but first uh this uh, topic we have been uh, dancing around um the end of last week and and yesterday a bit too let's address it straight on is uh, blm brandon not long for the mayorship in chicago there's uh, this uh more than rumors, I mean, there are pretty good sources that indicate that he suffers from panic attacks, panic attacks for which he has been hospitalized. Anita Padilla actually uh, talked about that on John Cass's podcast, the Chicago Way podcast as well. So Anita Padilla over, well, used to be at Fox News on her way to Florida, like the rest of Chicago. But um, the panic attacks, they're so severe, I heard yes that there is consideration as to whether or not he can continue in his job three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in da then a quick comment because i remember i my sources told me on a sunday uh a few weeks ago and i'm trying to find the text message when i texted you um but it definitely was a few weeks ago and they said he amy he didn't go once he went twice in one night on a Friday night to the hospital, to West Suburban. And I've been trying to reach out to them, but because of HIPAA laws, they will not tell us if he has or has not been there. Well, so with respect to the panic attacks, um, I mean, let's just assume that he has this uh, affliction mm-hmm. for the sake of argument. I mean, the idea that um, that it would they would rise to the level that he would willingly resign as mayor, I, I can't imagine that. So I, I, the the rumors that are circulating are, you know, reaching fever pitch because, of course, the implication is, and I think this is a, a little bit of a game of uh, telephone too. The more people talk about it, the closer he gets to resignation, even though nothing underlying has really changed. Um, th- there's just no way. I, I know the arguments that. This, he's over his skis and he he doesn't maybe he doesn't even want to do the job anymore. I doubt that. I think he likes the job and he certainly likes the title and all the trappings, as most of these politicians do. But the idea that that he and those around him, after securing this spot and this power, would let him walk away or would um, or he would even choose to walk away when he has uh, all these people around him that can do whatever heavy lifting needs to be done for him. 
that we're going to see some sort of change. And then, so that's number one. And then number two, even if he were to be compelled to resign because of his health, well, then the city council appoints, just like they did when Harold Washington died and they appointed Gene Sawyer. So who are they going to appoint? The city can, The city council is controlled by socialists. Right, but who's the vice mayor right now? Is it still Brandon Riley? Brandon Riley's not running again. Brandon Riley's gone. Did you know no, that? No, I didn't. Yeah, know well, that. he's. I, I, I have it on pretty good authority. He's gone. He's going to go, you know, be a flunky at some PR, the Dem PR agency, and uh, that'll still give him the time he needs at Boss Bar. So I mean, it, it's just the 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 the, the it doesn't matter. It doesn't, and it doesn't matter who the vice mayor is; they still vote. Okay, well, there's not a line of succession. So the city council votes. They're going to vote Brennan Riley. Hardly. Have you seen the city council lately? No, yes, you no, have. No, yeah, they're not. They might so, vote so I mean, Cigno Lopez or Sigcho Lopez. So I mean, I, I you know, in the one hand, uh, the mayor, like any public official, should be forthright about his health if it's negatively impacting his ability to serve, in quotation marks. But on the other hand, I I find this a bit distracting, and it's to probably a lot of sound and fury within the bubble, signifying not very much. Well, he has, I mean, he is diabetic. He has type 2 diabetes, and um, I don't know if he has hypertension along with that or high blood pressure. Normally they go hand in hand, but panic probably attacks does now. are real. I mean, when you, I don't, I'm sure you've never had a panic attack. No. But anyone out there that's had one, you feel like you're having a heart attack. I mean, you've lost all control. You need help. You need oxygen. You need to see a doctor right away. Uh, okay. I'm just saying because I, that's, but it might be, I heard that because he's over his head about the immigration issue and there's no money there and yada, yada, yada. But there's of course money he's there. in over his head. He, does, he doesn't even pay his own bills for God's sakes. It, so, so again, the, the, this is all interesting. This is all interesting, but the the question that's relevant with with respect to the rumors that are circulating: mm-hmm. Do you honestly believe there's a scenario under which he resigns um, on his own volition? That's not, you know, uh, related to any like forthcoming criminal indictment or something. No. That he resigns for health reasons of his own volition? No. 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 I don't see it. Uh, Peggy in Chicago. You're in Chicago's morning. That's all Peggy. Peggy. Yeah, I just found out we're the uh, bed bug capital of the world. Number and, one with uh, the bullet. Yeah, well, you know, you invite all these people up, and uh, you don't check them or anything. Guess what they're going to bring with them? So the next time, you know, you're at City Hall or, you know, those buildings downtown, um, and you bring something home, hey, we invited them in, you know. Well, thanks for the call, Peg. I think uh, we were uh, topping the list of uh, bed bugs prior to the yes. uh, migrant matter, you know, because we have a lot of slimy, scummy, fat, disgusting, distended, unclean politicians roaming around. Whoa! Wow, that was a mouthful. Okay. Well, well, trying to explain the bed bug problem, so, you know, how we've been afflicted with this for a while of our own choosing. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey, good morning, you two. Um, uh, he won't resign. You're right, Dan. I mean, why would he resign? He's too um, egotistical to resign. Um, two panic attacks, probably not that big of a deal. You know, they put pe- people go to the hospital quickly now, like if they're 
you know, breathe, you know, with all the COVID stuff, you know, if they're breathing heavy, they think they're dying, you know, stuff like that. So I don't believe he will resign in a, in a minute. He won't. And uh, Tony Preckwinkle, if, if he were to leave, which, well, Tony Preckwinkle would be mayor, don't you think? No. I think. No, no why not? No way in the world. She oh, she's not. She's too too uh, old, or what's wrong with her? Well, she's not, she's not she too a, old. She's but, not an older person. What's wrong with her? Well, you don't have to be an older. Oh, I don't know the rules down there. Yeah, okay, you, but she yeah. was the one who groomed him and put him into the spot, correct? Yeah, was everybody. She's the one. Yeah. yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know who. Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. I mean, I don't. I don't. Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think uh, Tony. Tony. Tony would be interested to make that move at this stage but you don't have to be a city council member to be appointed though but doesn't um, it work like the vice mayor takes over until there is a of city council vote well yeah but they'll move that quickly just like they did with sawyer when washington died. oh eugene sawyer i'll never forget when he was in the swedish day parade oh if only i had a camera back then or video camera why? Oh, because he was, you know, because you're the king and queen of Sweden walking down Clark Street, very regal and stoic. And he was like, hey, hey and just enjoying his, I mean, it was, he was great, but he was kind of, you know, it was clownish behavior. It wasn't, mm. you know, but it was, he was having fun. He knew it was just a short gig. I'm mayor. Here we go. Um, yeah. And just on the bed bug thing, just to oh, round yeah. that out, fourth year in a row. Chicago has earned the top spot in Orkin's top 50 bedbug cities in the United States. Way to go. Yeah. And, you know, we have uh, a rat hole here, too, now, so that's great, too, for tourism. Yeah. Did you see are, that thing? It's a squirrel, folks. Please, it's a squirrel. Real, real, real attraction. And then, and then I go again, uh, if you haven't tried it yet, today's as good a day as any. The, that uh, hot, the boat on the, on the Chicago River with the hot tub in it. <laughs> Got that, and then you got the sea dog to look forward to in the spring. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you know, things are uh, coming up roses in Chicago. Dan and Amy, Chicago's morning answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM five sixty The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to six four six three six to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, You had... uh, Something you wanted to say about uh, Tim Scott and his pending nuptials? Yeah, the love story, okay? So he was interviewed by the Washington Post, and he said, well, as a guy who's mostly an introvert and on the quieter side, having to have a conversation about the engagement is a little, you know, 
uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's the most exciting thing I'll do with my life besides making Jesus my Lord. So that was nice. But then he also went on with uh, Martha McCallum on Fox News, and she, you know, she congratulated him. This is a good thing. Posted a picture you. of you yes. down on one knee. Um, you know, t- t- tell us, you know, how you feel about getting married, and when are you going to get married? Well, listen, uh, two weeks before Christmas, I, I went to her parents and asked for their permission. Uh-huh. And uh, that started the process. I, I knew I wanted to do it in mid-January. I'm really excited. The date, we'll, we'll surprise you with the date. I'm sure that we'll get some coverage on that one. But I am so thankful to have found my Proverbs 18:22 and Proverbs 31 moment. Well, congratulations, Senator. We wish you both uh, all the happiness in the world. And I look forward. This is my Proverbs woman with an arrow pointing. <laughs> I can see the T-shirts now. Well, they played, uh, They met in Bible study. They play pickleball together. She's a divorcee. She has three kids. We don't know. They're, she's being very protective of their ages and names, which is fine. Um, but I got a text message into the show. Dan and Amy, finally, it's about time. I'm so happy for him. I'm glad he finally brought her out into the open last year during the campaign. Not sure why he had her hidden away. I used to think he was gay or something or just asexual until she appeared. And even then, people were saying it was just for the campaign. I disagree. They look lovely together. This is exciting. Okay. Yeah, that's All great. Right. Yeah. That's, well, great. Um, we got another story in the uh, romance department. Oh. It's not quite as uplifting because we're going to talk about uh, Fannie Willis down oh. there in Fulton County, Georgia. But I, can I just say something about this uh, horrific murder that occurred in Tinley Park? We've had a the, lot uh, of murders this past two days. Well, yes, yeah. for the mom and the three daughters. Right. So the the father uh, murders his wife and his three daughters. Um, does not kill the son. Um, I understand that he made the nine one one call. The father, who committed, yeah. who allegedly committed these acts. Yeah, he was sitting there when police arrived. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anybody hearing anything in Tinley Park about that? I know this is being characterized as, you know, domestic violence, which it obviously is. But there's something else, I think, that may be afoot here that people don't want to discuss because of the fact that this is a Muslim family. Um, See where I'm going? Mm Mm-hmm. I understand. And the fact that he allowed his son live because men are treasured. Boys are treasured more than women in the Muslim communities. Well, I mean, there in with certain disposition within the uh, among some Muslims. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of rumors circulating about that family. And I can't confirm them. But those circumstances raise questions and police should be asked those questions. It is uh, not proper to not disclose the details of what happened in a case like that if and when you reach the conclusion, law enforcement reaches the conclusion that uh, reaches a conclusion uh, as to what they know to be true about what happened. Um, This sort of papering over something as horrific as that with uh, domestic violence um, that needs to be explored more deeply. 
and whatever is found needs to be disclosed to the public. And I'm certainly going to press Tinley Park to disclose. I mean, I, this is, you know, 24, 48 hours after this was discovered, so I'm I'm not, uh, uh, you know, rushing to demand. But there are these uh, rumors circulating uh, about people, uh, among people in Tinley Park who know the family. Yeah. And... Um, the way that it is being characterized in the uh, Chicago media, sanitized, I would say, in the Chicago media, maybe maybe it's fair to sanitize it at this point until there are certain things confirmed. But um, this is something where you should allow the uh, initially sanitized version of the short story to stand ask no questions and let it just dissipate into people's memory. There's there's a there's a question that needs to be asked about what happened there and what the motive was and police need to at some point when the investigation is concluded or they believe they have what actually transpired and why it transpired that needs to be disclosed. That's what I'm saying. And there's all sorts of reasons why it is right and proper for them to disclose the motive in a horrific crime like that. They should. Police are saying they've never been called to the home before, that's all. And the mayor was crying, the mayor of Tinley Park was crying yesterday. The the dad, the the alleged murderer, mm-hmm. made the 911 call. We need the 911 call. What did he say during the 911 call? Uh, in a, actually... I, I'm sure he didn't say anything interesting. What's interesting is he made the call. That's what's interesting. And now we have a conversation about motive. And then we ultimately have a conversation. And this also, too, obviously, the Will County State's Attorney's Office is involved in the conversation about uh, what he may or may not have disclosed in custody and under questioning by police and and prosecutors. Well, that all that stuff needs to come out, right? And I understand, but Will County sheriffs are pretty busy. I mean, they had eight people murdered yesterday by a guy who shouldn't have been out on the streets anyway. This guy killed somebody randomly, and then the next on that was Sunday night. Then on Monday, he killed five people in one house, two people across the street in a different house, fled to Texas. He was out on bond on a gun charge. Never should have been on the streets anyway. Ended up in Texas, got in a confrontation with police where he shot himself killed himself but that monster what are we doing here my god i mean more than 10 people shot in will county in a 48 hour period well these are different things i know they're different cases i get that and there's different situations but it involves dead people all right when we come back uh i want to get over to uh Fawny Willis, and let's talk about uh, the latest and greatest with that prosecutor and, by extension, that Trump prosecution down in Fulton County, Georgia. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them. 
right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Dan and Amy, so yesterday a judge in Georgia ordered the court records in the divorce proceeding between the special prosecutor slash boy slash slash Fanny Willis uh, boyfriend mm-hmm. Nathan Wade and his uh, his estranged wife to be made public. So that that divorce file is coming out. Uh, this was um, uh, brought by. Um, essentially brought by a defense attorney for one of the uh, Trump 19 in Fulton County. Uh, Michael Roman is the defendant's name who alleged that uh, Willis and Wade had an appropriate relationship. And then, of course, as everybody should know by now, there's a lot of records that demonstrate that uh, they were traveling the world together, and she hires him as a special prosecutor. He's got very little background as a prosecutor, and she's the one who signs off on the uh, on the payment of his bills. Yeah, because I mean, it's the Capital One. It was released. And he's got. He bought her flights. He actually purchased her flight. He purchased a cruise for them, and he uh, uh, purchased flights in hotel room for Napa Valley. And um, uh, Fawny Willis, by the way, she was supposed to be deposed today. That got pushed off. Um, Fawny Willis is accusing Nathan Wade, her her alleged boyfriend, uh, of his 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 estranged wife, of interfering in her prosecution of President Trump (laughs) and conspiring with Michael Roman. Who, whose attorney filed this, uh, made this filing in court, making the allegation. She, uh, literally the words that are used, interfering, quote-unquote, in her prosecution, conspiring with Michael Roman. Uh-huh. Um, it's interesting because, oh, by the way, there's one other uh, thing that's circulating about uh, Fawny Willis. One of the other defendants... Harrison Floyd was friends with Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor, until he allegedly started making time with Nathan Wade's estranged wife. Oh, Jocelyn Wade. So if that's true and if there's any documentation, say, in the divorce uh, file that's made public, in addition to the conflict between 
uh, Fawnie Willis or the conflict of interest she has with the uh, retention of Nathan Wayne as the special prosecutor. Now her special prosecutor has a conflict of interest with one of the defendants. I mean, unless you don't think that a jilted husband prosecuting the guy who was messing around with his estranged wife is a conflict of interest. This oh, is, this is very, like a soap opera, Dan. It's getting very Springerish. You know, uh, yeah. But it was like cool it. yesterday. Jo- Jocelyn Wade's attorney spoke outside the courtroom um, because they subpoenaed Fanny, and she's not showing up. It wouldn't matter who she is and what position she holds. If she's having an affair with my client's husband and he's spending my client's money on that relationship, I'm going to find out about it. Um, she's not not showing up for subpoena. I just no. said okay. that it was, the judge today. pushed it off. Yes. Um, so that's a judicial decision. Um, Fonnie Willis uh, in 2020 had some comments about uh, dating one subordinates. Because apparently the previous Fulton County District Attorney got in some uh, trouble, accused of sexual harassment, something like this. So she was making a clean break from the bad old days before she got there in Fulton County. This is what she said. I certainly will not be choosing people to date that work under me. Mm. Let me just say that. Um, you know, we are at a place in society where things happen in people's relationships, husband and wife. Sometimes there are outside relationships. I don't think that that's what the community is concerned about, although there, you know, there might be a, a moral breaking in that. I think that what citizens are really, really concerned about is if you chose to have inappropriate contact with employees. I mean, there's nothing that I can say on it other than it is distracting. Um, it is certainly inappropriate for the number one law enforcement officer in the state. Um, and it just, it, it really, really saddens me. And it will be very unfortunate if the taxpayers of this community have to pay for any of those lawsuits. Huh. Be really unfortunate uh, for the taxpayers of Fulton County if they have to pay for any of the litigation surrounding Fonnie Willis, her boyfriend, uh, his wife's possible, his estranged, her, her boyfriend's estranged wife's possible boyfriend, and this whole imbroglio that uh, Fonnie Willis created when she decided that she wanted to uh, make her name by taking down President Trump and his alleged co-conspirators in Fulton County. You know what I mean? What you talking about, Willis? I'll tell you what she's talking about. She's talking about uh, being a little bit of a hot water down there. Boy, it would be uh, be really something. I mean, she is an example. It's just remarkable. Over the last, uh, gosh, eight years now, it is almost like Trump selects his enemies, like they're cast to play his enemies for his benefit. Fawny Willis is a good example of that. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, yesterday, the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision vacated a lower court injunction 
that prevented Customs and Border Patrol from taking down the razor wire and other barriers erected by uh, the uh, Texas authorities at the direction of Governor Abbott. 5-4 decision that included Judge, uh, Chief Justice Roberts as well as Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, this drew the expected howl of criticism, particularly of Barrett, since she was the effectively deciding vote, and uh, the belief that uh, she had betrayed conservatives here. What's her view? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. I mean, what good is our federal government if you can't defend our border? Like, I, I just, I don't understand how states are supposed to defend themselves if the government, federal government won't do it, and then you have her making that decision and letting God know who who come into our country. I mean, did you see this? This is a Middle Eastern man who crossed over on Sunday who was a little yeah. lippy. No, a little lippy. I don't like the attitude. Wait. You are smart enough, you would know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. Very wow. easy. Wow. Very easy. The, the entitlement. The entitlement. Uh, no, believe me. I'm much better than that. The entitlement, guys. Wow. Because it's common for reporters to say, you know, donde eres, where are you from? Or, and the, he, the reporter asked him that, and that's what he said. You're going to know who I am? That's the reason why you have the razor wire up right there. Uh, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Uh, in New Hampshire uh, over the weekend, uh, Trump had a comment on uh, judicial uh, nominees, judges nominated, and uh, installed by the Senate, federal judges, uh, that are nominated by Republicans versus those nominated by Democrats. The immunity situation is so important. And one thing I've noticed, and I've noticed it very strongly, if Biden or Obama, Democrat appointed judge, they go out of their way to hurt you. If a Republican appoints a judge like me, I appoint a judge, they go out of their way to show they're not biased and that they can't be bought, they can't be this, they can't be... You appoint somebody, and they go out of their way to rule against you because they want to show that they are not in any way influenced by the fact that you appointed them. And you really do have two standards. It's an incredible difference. And hopefully the Republican justices that we have and judges that we have will make correct decisions. And what I want is just... Fair and correct decisions. And the president has 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Uh, interestingly, you know, because this has sort of been presented as, you know, Customs and Border Patrol versus uh, the Texas National Guard and yeah. and Texas law enforcement. The uh, statement from the Border Patrol Union, the Supreme Court's decision is going to undoubtedly encourage more illegal immigration. Unfortunately, this means Border Patrol agents are going to be tied up dealing with give-ups rather than going after the criminal elements that constantly cross our borders illegally. The administration, no doubt, will say this is a win for border security, but if they sought rank-and-file input, they would be told this will do the exact opposite. Agents support what Texas was trying to accomplish in the absence of true border security policies, 
from this administration. So the rank and file at the border, there's no conflict between Texas rank and file law enforcement and Customs and Border Patrol federal rank and file law enforcement. There's no conflict there. They both see the same problem. They're both uh, desire to do the same thing. Abbott is uh, unleashing his personnel to do that. And, of course, Biden is restraining federal personnel from uh, from doing that. So don't think that this is any conflict at the law enforcement level. It's strictly a conflict at the political level, conflict of visions, the open borders vision versus the border security vision. But in terms of the case itself, uh, I understand the uh, uh, exasperation and the feeling like Amy Coney Barrett uh, didn't fall on the side she should have fallen on. And I think there are arguments to be made um, uh, in this case that are persuasive. And, uh, you know, again, there's no details in terms of the basis of the decision uh, of the respective justices, just the net net decision to lift the injunction. But, uh, you know, I, I can surmise maybe what Gorsuch and Thomas and Alito uh, and Kavanaugh were thinking when they uh, wanted to. Well, that well, when they essentially voted to maintain the injunction. Mm-hmm. But but just recall here that the federal government has, I mean, this is longstanding Supreme Court precedent, has plenary power over the border, meaning virtually absolute power, because of the power conferred to the federal government to control who comes into this country and who doesn't. Immigration isn't explicitly mentioned in the Constitution, but it is by inference with the process of citizenship and naturalization and so forth. So this case was about not about the what, but it was about the who, who gets to decide. So it wasn't Amy Coney Barrett necessarily striking a vote for open borders or saying that uh, she opposes uh, what uh, Governor Abbott has directed Texas state personnel to do. But it's that ultimately it's the federal government's prerogative, I think, when it comes to border security. And if you have a prerogative, then you can choose to exercise the sort of security to to, uh, to, to enact the sort of measures that provide security or you can choose not to. But it was working. The the razor wire up in Eagle Pass was working. People, a reporter from Houston, Channel 11, was following these two guys, and they were just kept walking. And he goes, where are you going? Like, we were trying to find Border Patrol agents to turn ourselves in, and we, we need to get on the other side. We, we need this down, the razor wire. But I know that's not what they were looking at. It's a bigger picture, and you're more intellectually minded than me. But well, I, just, I, mean, I like my knee-jerk reaction. I'm pissed. Well, this working. was a working system where people were stopped. They knew, hey, don't come to Eagle Pass. You're not going to get through. Don't come to this country. Well, I mean, very limited, but these are workarounds. I mean, the, the, the part of the whole point here is that you know, putting razor wires and buoys in certain portions along the southern border in Texas, it doesn't address the problem. It just addresses the problem for that 
community mm-hmm. adjacent, but. But it so, sends a message so, like, "Hey, so, they're doing something." I, I get what it does, but 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 again, working is not the question before the court. Right. And remember, um, and this goes both directions. The people that are uh, hailing this decision by the Supreme Court are the same people who decry the Supreme Court's decision upholding Trump's "quote unquote" Muslim travel ban. Remember, remember that was an immigration case too, oh, yeah. and it was five four in favor of Trump, and it was largely based on the same argument about the plenary power that the federal government has when it comes to immigration. So, but again, that goes both ways. If the federal government does have this plenary power, then they can choose not to exercise it. You, I have power. I don't have to exercise it. I can choose not to. That's the definition of having the power. So cheering, the left is cheering this, the open borders crowd is cheering this while they were weeping and apoplectic about the decision on the Trump temporary travel ban from certain uh, Muslim-majority countries. And now the right is sort of, some on the right are doing sort of the same thing. So this is where, like, we have to be a little bit level-headed about this. Let's focus on the responsible parties, and let's understand perhaps there are— this is just sort of, you know, at the beginning of this process. I mean, this was an injunction, so this was going to be litigated uh, beyond this, and there are new cases that can be filed, and one of the cases that should be filed, if you want to talk about uh, a stronger argument, I think, to make— is under Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a a Republican form of government shall protect each of them against invasion. Protect each of them against invasion. Now you have shall protect each of them against invasion. That is enshrined in the Constitution as a mandate on the federal government. The United States shall guarantee to every state and shall protect each of them against invasion. I think there's your argument to make before the high court that says if the government is not fulfilling its obligation, shall protect obligation, then we have to step in because it's a failure of government to exercise power it's required to exercise in this instance. And this is why, and we talked about this during the campaign, why people, when they were running for office like Carrie Lake in Arizona, were saying, I'm going to declare an invasion once I'm elected governor. I'm going to declare an invasion. Why was she saying that? Because I'm saying that the government, the federal government, is in violation of their Article 4, Section 4 responsibilities. So this is not over yet. There's a way to do this. I haven't seen, I I haven't read the particulars of the court filings in this case by Texas and the federal government. I've just seen summaries of them. But I'm not sure that this Article 4 in fact, I don't think this Article 4, Section 4 argument was made by the state of Texas, uh, but there's still plenty of opportunity to do so. Tony on the south side. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy Lamb. So, Dan, I, I have a uh, question for you. We got to get in touch with the people who do the national political ads. So when Trump is running against Biden, we take the clip of that Middle Eastern gentleman that is saying, you don't know who I am, but you will know soon. And plant that all over the country. If that doesn't wake up these people in America, 
don't know what will. Just a thought, my friend. Talk All to you right. guys later. Thanks for the call, Tony. Yeah. It uh, does sound threatening, doesn't it? Uh, Joe Naperville. Yeah, I think Abbott messed up. He should have just said that the razor wire and the buoys was artwork and then had a First Amendment argument. And yeah. also, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't you know, maybe put a crucifix in a, a jar of urine and then the left would have supported them. Yeah, and also, subsidized it, yeah. Yeah, and doesn't Texas have, like, their own state land that they could have just put this on and say, you know, F you, federal government, this is state land? Um. No. I, I mean, I know Texas, you know, the Republic of Texas and all that, but not under not under the United States Constitution. They don't. Uh, Jordan Antioch. Good morning. Um, you know, I, I be, prior to the McGlynn decision uh, here in Illinois, I would have been upset with Barrett. But I think what these conservative justices and these conservative judges are doing is saying quit with the kick in the can down the road uh this injunctive relief is just a band-aid and i didn't realize that until we had to deal with it here with the pika act and all that was they're saying get to the merits of the case bring an actual case quit quit filing injunctions because that does nothing that's just a band-aid that's something that we waste time litigating we waste money litigating and we never get to the meat and potatoes of the actual problem and Mm -hmm. i think i haven't i don't i don't know what she I'm, maybe she wrote the dissent. I don't know, but there's I, no, no, I'm there's no. That. That's the whole point. There's okay. no argument laid out by either side. It's just the decision in a situation well, and, like and this. I, yeah, I would be willing to bet that that was probably the thought process going through her head was, quick, let's get to the meat and potatoes and actually fix this rather than wasting our time with injunctive relief that does actually it just it just prolongs the decision, right? So I I would yeah. I would have been upset until I took a thirty thousand foot view at this and realized that McGlynn and, and John Block explained it really well as to why he did what he did. And I think people need to understand that, that they're not, they're not turning against or, 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 you know, being traitors to the conservative movement or their beliefs. What they're actually doing is trying to help you realize that quit trying to kick your can down the road. That does nothing. Bring an actual case and let's put an end to it. Thank Thanks you. for the call, Jordan. Um, you know, it's, in terms of not kicking the can down the road, something else, too. I mean, in this context where now, according to some recent polling, immigration is the number one concern of uh, likely voters right. ahead of even inflation. Um, the political solution, too. I mean, this shouldn't just this. Yes, the courts are relevant here, but so is the Congress. And uh, I thought Marco Rubio and Mike Lee had an interesting exchange on Twitter. Marco Rubio sort of rhetorically asking how can there be a border security deal with a biden administration that just went all the way to the supreme court to stop border security oh that's awesome it's a great question yeah it is a good so what what are we wasting our time with what why is mike johnson especially i mean i know why mcconnell goes to the white house and they have these confabs and they sit around and uh, stroke each other but what what, what's even the point talk about wasting time and just getting to it already as as uh, jordan was saying let's just get to it already um and that that means Speaker Johnson and the House Republican Caucus, because Speaker Johnson can't do it alone, should understand this moment a little bit better than some of them seem to understand it and say everything stops. Just to reiterate what we've talked about intermittently over the last several weeks into months now, everything stops until and unless 
at, at least remain in Mexico. If we don't have remain in Mexico right now as a good faith policy change, then we have nothing to talk about and we have no money to spend. And by the way, in response to Marco Rubio, oh, what did Sen- he say? Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Amen. I struggle with the assumption that the Biden administration can be trusted to negotiate in good faith on any border security deal, given that the administration is fighting tooth and nail to prevent Texas from restoring order along its portion of the border. Precisely. So if you can't trust your negotiating partner, then there doesn't make for much of a negotiation, does it? That's why I say there is there is no deal to be cut. There is a you provide this specific performance. You make this policy change, remain in Mexico, or we don't talk. Nothing happens. We will do nothing. We will sit here until uh, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November and do nothing until remain in Mexico is done, and that provides a good faith showing for a deeper negotiation. Yeah, and and in the meantime, Americans— are being abused. I don't know if you heard about this illegal Honduran who uh, sexually abused a girl in Alexandria, Virginia. Videotaped it, too. They let him out. ICE finally caught up with him, and he punched an ICE agent in the face during the arrest process, and KJP is blaming Republicans for this one. Thank God for Ducey. They released an illegal immigrant from Honduras who's charged with sexually assaulting a Virginia minor. Doesn't that go to show? that as record numbers of people appear at the border, you guys have no idea what kind of people are coming into this country. We need more resources. We need more funding, which is why we're having these negotiations on the Hill. But Republicans in the Senate is working with us. Republicans in the House are trying to get in the way. Meanwhile, that American victim, she'll never be the same. Well, and um, uh, this is where House Republicans, starting with Speaker Johnson... Hey, whatever Mitch McConnell and some of these quizlings in the Senate Republican Caucus want to do, they want to do. Uh, we'll have Mark Lee and Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and others come over and they'll stand with us. So this is your choice, America. It is the open borders crowd and these uh, corporate panty wastes who masquerade as Republicans in the Senate versus conservative reformers who are serious about border security, so serious that we're not moving until we get the policy changes that everyone knows need to be made in order to have anything resembling border security in this country. And that's just it. It's very simple. They are completely upside down. I'm talking about those Senate Republicans and the Biden administration and, of course, all the open borders crowds and the Democrat Socialist Party. They're completely upside down on this, even in deep blue states and 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 communist red major cities, completely upside down. If if that's not enough of, of, you know, if there's not enough sort of moral incentive there's just the expedient political incentive to do exactly what Tom Homan and others have said and what I do is just describing. Mark in the Western Burbs. Yeah, hi. Um, I've not heard this argument made, but, you know, I feel for Texas and for Arizona and the border states, and I understand their need to ship these illegal immigrants out. And what I'm thinking, though, is are they playing – if this is an invasion – could they be playing into the 
left's hand by shipping all these invaders into the various blue states, you know, and just the fact that these states have declared themselves sanctuaries, could that be an enemy's longer term plan to have um, described themselves as sanctuary states, you know, years before that led up to this? I know it's a bit of a stretch, but it just it seems like it's an argument that should be pursued. Thanks for the call, Mark. Well, well, I mean, in terms of like, are they playing into the enemy's hands by shipping migrants around? Um, I mean, you can make that argument, uh, but I don't think that uh, absolves the federal government of its Article Four, Section Four responsibilities. And uh, just the basic point being, well, yeah, I, I'm shipping invaders to other places because I don't want them in my state, but they're still invaders. They still invaded. The federal government is still sanctioning this invasion, whether they wind up on Texas soil or Illinois soil or New York soil. It doesn't really matter, does it? They're still at a, a place that they have no legal right to be. So, I mean, you know, the 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 federal government could make that argument in in the face of an, an Article 4, Section 4 challenge. But I don't think the high court would find that persuasive, including Amy Coney Barrett. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy uh, Trump in New Hampshire on the stump. I uh, gave a shout-out to our friend uh, Brian Birch's group's Catholic vote. I don't know if people caught that. But uh, use that as the opportunity to take a shot across the bow of the FBI. Today we're also very grateful to be endorsed by one of the nation's largest Catholic advocacy groups, Catholic Vote. It's called Catholic Vote. And I just want to thank them. They are incredible. I don't know what it is with Catholics, but the FBI is going after Catholics. What is going Who would? Why would any Catholic vote for a Democrat? You two? Anybody? Any Catholic being harassed? Now, why would a Catholic think of it, what they're doing? I hear stories that are just horrible. Why would a Catholic be voting for Biden or a Democrat? Doesn't make sense. It's horrible. What they're doing is horrible. I don't know. I guess we should ask Cardinal Supich that. Uh, 312-642-5600, Turnkey. Pro Answer Line, 646-36-DA, Pro Line. Somebody wants to take up uh, President Trump's question. Uh, in the interim, another story about the FBI, which is really the segue here. Another story about the FBI's record. Maybe this will be a little bit more interesting to those on the left who have newfound uh, admiration for the FBI when they're uh, monitoring Catholics attending a Latin Mass or um, signing on to uh, letters to call into question the authenticity of Hunter Biden's laptop or, you know, other or or running interference for Biden Incorporated altogether, spiking investigations or not being forthcoming about what, uh, if any, involvement they had in January 6th in terms of FBI personnel and assets on the ground in the Capitol. And uh, what were they doing if they were there? Christopher Ray, and on and on and on about the FBI. 
the participation in the Russian collusion hoax. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Steve Garvey does. You know, in this California, <laughs> California, with the uh, they have the the uh, top two vote getters. So all the the Republicans and Democrats for an office like U.S. Senator are thrown together. The top two finishers go on to the general election. So this uh, debate that featured Adam Schiff, I totally. Uh, uh, this is uh, again to replace DiFi, and uh, the Republican is Steve Garvey. Hall of Famer Steve Garvey. He's a Hall of Famer, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Uh, anyway, Steve Garvey's 75 years old, but he looks good. Yeah, he does look good. And um, he was getting right after Schiff and, you know, Schiff, morally indignant. How dare you question Adam Schiff's integrity? If there's one thing Adam Schiff is known for, it is his integrity. Sure. This is a man of candor and character. Uh, so that's how this exchange, or this is how that exchange went. Next, I'm going to insist on answering. All right. Just called a liar by Mr. Garvey. Okay, thirty Mr. seconds. Mr. Garvey, I was censured for standing up to a corrupt president, and you know something? I would do it all over again, because that corrupt president, that president who's been indicted with ninety-four felony, ninety-one felony counts, that president that you won't refuse to support. Yeah, he's a danger, and I will stand up. To him and Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan and any of those MAGA enablers of his in the Congress. The reason why our democracy is in trouble is because folks don't have the courage to stand up when they need to. Okay, thank you very much. Sir, we're going to keep, we're going to keep, we're going to keep let moving. Me, let me just heap that. Both my name. <laughs> All right. R real quick. Sir, you lied to 300 million people. You can't take that back. Touch them all. Yeah, real simple. You're a liar. You lie to 300 million people. That's what you do. Your human excrement, which I, I would have added. But, you know, Steve Garvey's classier. So here we go. Back to the FBI. You know, uh, the Russian collusion hoax is uh, still very present because you have Adam Schiff, the leading contender to replace DiFi. Man convicted in a post-9-11 terrorism sting, ordered freed from prison by a judge who criticized the FBI for relying on unsavory confidential and informant for an agency-invented conspiracy to blow up New York synagogues and shoot down National Guard planes. This happened Friday, and it, but it dates back 15 years. U.S. District Judge Colleen McMahon granted James Cromighty, 58-year-old, by the way, black gentleman. Compassionate release from prison six months after she ordered the release of his three co-defendants, known as the Newberg Four, for similar reasons. The Newberg Four. Four men from a small river city 60 miles north of New York City convicted of terrorism charges in 2010. Cromighty served 15 years of his 25-year minimum sentence. Prosecutors in the case said that Newberg defendants spent months scouting targets and securing what they thought were explosives and, sur and a surface-to-air missile, aiming to shoot down planes at the Air National Guard base in Newburgh and blow up synagogues in the Bronx. They were arrested after allegedly planting bombs that were packed with inert explosives supplied by the FBI. Judge McMahon, in her ruling wrote that the FBI invented the conspiracy and identified the targets. 
Cromite and his co-defendants, she wrote, quote, would not have and could not have devised on their own a crime involving missiles that would have warranted the 25-year sentence the court was forced to impose. The notion that Cromite was selected as a leader by the co-defendants is inconceivable, wrote the judge, given his well-documented buffoonery and ineptitude. In addition, the informant that brought Cromite into the plot, Shahid Hussein, whose work has been criticized for years by Civil Liberties Group, reports AP. McMahon, the judge, again called their CI, Shahid Hussein, the most, most unsavory, her words, and a villain sent by the government to, quote, troll among the poorest and weakest of men for, quote-unquote, terrorists who might prove susceptible to an offer of much-needed cash in exchange for committing a faux crime. Hussein, the same informant, also worked with the FBI on a sting that targeted an Albany, New York pizza shop owner and an imam that involved a loan using money from a a fictitious missile sale. Both men who said they were tricked were convicted of money laundering and conspiring to aid a terrorist group. The same confidential informant attracted fresh attention in 2018 when a stretch limo operated by his son uh, in a, for a company that he owned crashed in rural New York killing 20 people. His son was convicted of manslaughter serving 5 to 15. The um, attorney for Cromighty I'm obviously thrilled that Mr. Cromighty was released from or will be released from prison, but still believe his conviction was entirely the product of government entrapment. Seeing as he was hounded and manipulated by the government informant way more than any of the other defendants who were previously ordered released, it would have been shocking if McMahon didn't grant our motion. But that's not even the point. Right. To justify your existence, some of some, some of these phony Patriots, these phony G-men, are entrapping, instigating. Yeah, I mean, I get it. The, uh, you know, no matter if somebody came at me with, you know, some sort of plot like this, uh, it sounds like the FBI cooked up here against these goofs. Uh, you know, no one should be susceptible to that, you know, right from wrong. Why? why what are you talking about? To surface to air missile and shooting down anything. But that's not the point. That's not living in a free society where, as the judge wrote in her opinion, you're looking and targeting and trying to find the weakest among us who have no capacity, no sort of no inclination for that kind of harm and no capacity to accomplish it on their own. But you entrap them so you can what put a scalp on your uh, on the, one of the walls of your cubicle and say, you know, I'm out there fighting terrorism. I mean, this is what the FBI has become. And and here again, uh, I'm sorry, but like in the Whitmer plot, um, this is rank and file FBI, like in the raid on the pastor in rural Pennsylvania or that not pastor, but the pro-life activist in rural Pennsylvania. That's rank and file or like the targeting 
by the Richmond office of those Catholics attending Latin Mass that certainly involved the rank and file. So it's not everybody in the agency. Uh, I get it. It's never everybody in any entity that big. But it's more than just a leadership problem. And don't forget going after parents who attended school board meetings during COVID. Well, right. And that, of course, is, you know, comes down from on high. Your attorney general, Merrick Garland. Right. And, and, and again, so so this will not get any sort of press. I mean, I, I hope that these people who've been f- who the Newburgh four, I hope they speak. That will generate a little bit more press. And then you can go to, again, your phony civil libertarian friends who, you know, pretending they're members of an ACLU that has nothing to do with civil liberties anymore either. They're just straight power politics. They're all they're, they're all that they're, they will happily concede to the authoritarian practices of federal law enforcement, of the federal government generally, happily concede. If it means that, uh, well, in the immediacy that Trump is defeated and Biden gets another term, they retain Congress, so on and so forth. They're just partisan hacks. They are just uh, enablers and facilitators of the new Jacobins, the new Marxists. These revolutionaries that uh, have opened the border and drained your bank account. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. That sound means it's time for In-Depth History with Frank from Arlington Heights because there's nothing new in this world. It's just the history we don't know, and Frank has something rather topical given our recent snow days for school. Frank, Frank, take it away. Good morning. Just last week, schools across the area were shut down, and most went to remote learning for a few days. Now, we know this is not ideal instruction, but considering the schoolhouse blizzard of 1888, perhaps it was a good example of using technology for risk avoidance. In that year, Nebraska and the Dakotas, already suffering from a tough early winter, were enjoying a sunny and warmer day on January 12th. Children had returned to school, and many people were out replenishing supplies. This warm-up was illusory, though, as in the early afternoon, a new storm from Canada roared in and engulfed the region in a blizzard, and temperatures dropped up to 80 degrees Fahrenheit in some parts. One brave teen schoolteacher named Minnie Freeman was about to let her young students go home. But when the wind picked up, took out a window, the door blew in, she could see serious trouble ahead. So she quickly decided to lead 13 schoolchildren to a local farmhouse three-quarters of a mile away in the face of what was now a blinding snowstorm. She used some twine from the classroom and tied the children together to have them walk and even carried one of them to her host family's house. All 13 survived, and this is memorialized in the Nebraska capital today as a mural. Many others, though, were not so lucky as this horrible storm claimed 235 dead, including many school children. Thankfully, the pioneering Miss Freeman was able to keep her wits about her and save these kids. If she had lived in a more brainwashed era like today, had to rely on something as laughable as an EV bus in the winter, the story might have turned out differently. Frank, that was lovely. Uh, and, you know, an interesting uh, side note to that. 
that uh, kid that uh, Minnie Freeman picked up and mm-hmm. carried to that farmhouse in Nebraska in 1888? You know who that was? Who? I do yeah. not. I did not get that deep into it. That was Warren was Buffett. Really? Now, I'm making that up. 1888? No, obviously not. Warren Buffett's great-grandpa. Great-great-great. He is like 95. No, I know, but yeah. he's not. Yeah, he's not 135, though. Yeah, very good. Well, that was wonderful, Frank. Thank you Frank, as always, uh, bringing the past to the present. Very good. We appreciate it. Have right, a good day. Up. Be safe. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Donald Trump has been uh, typically entertaining on the stump, including in New Hampshire over the weekend. (laughs) This... This riff on uh, building an Iron Dome over the United States, a la Israel, you know, some of his best work um, with full Michael Winslow sound effects. Take a listen. And I will build an Iron Dome over our country, a state-of-the-art missile defense shield made in the USA. We do it for other countries. We help other countries. We build. We don't do it for ourselves. We need it, too. You know, Reagan proposed that many years ago, Star Wars. He, he proposed it many, many years ago, but at that time there was no technology. It was just like it looked good. But we have unbelievable technology. We shoot them down. I've seen so many things. I've seen shots that you wouldn't even believe. Missile launched. They go, missile launched. And you hear a bell go. I mean, I see this. I like. I, it's so incredible. And these guys, these geniuses, they go, these are not muscle guys here. They're muscle guys up here, right? And they calmly walk to a seat. Ding, 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 ding. They've only got 17 seconds to figure this whole thing out, right? Boom. Okay. Missile launch. Pshin, boom. It's the most un... And we don't have it here. But we help other countries in having it. No, we're going to have the greatest Iron Dome. Let's call it Iron Dome. Anyone that works... And it's going to be manufactured, a lot of it, right here in New Hampshire, actually. Uh-huh. Come to think of it. I think, uh, yeah, he was watching uh, airplane movies or watching his grandson play Space Invaders or something. I I, I don't know. Um, Yes. Um, So, again, (laughs) this is one of those instances where you say, you know, Trump is directionally correct, but he's not necessarily the uh, details guy. Um, He's excited about it. Get it done. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely... Definitely, whatever he witnessed uh, really stuck with him. Uh, for more on uh, Trump, because uh, that guy you just heard is the bete noir of all of our betters who were assembled in Davos for the World Economic Forum last week, as we discussed at some length and continue to. Kevin Roberts was one of those at uh, Davos. And uh, again, as we talked a little bit about uh, his remarks yesterday with uh, Jed Babin, you know, I mean, I think, you know, Javier Mille, just because it was such a Econ 101 Frederick Hayek uh, lesson for the assembled globalists. But uh, right there, you know, just just maybe just a half a step below Mille in terms of 
addressing down a rhetorical dressing down to those in Davos was Kevin Roberts from the Heritage Foundation. Kevin, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Uh, always glad to be with you, Dan and Amy. Uh, what a what a glorious and brilliant clip from President Trump. That, that is <laughs> yes. It's a doozy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I mean, the the Joint Chiefs of Staff meetings must have been you know wildly entertaining. Uh, I can only imagine. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, you uh, uh, really took it to those in Davos who, um, well, parroting what you hear from Biden and company in this country have great fear of a MAGA dictatorship and uh, and see themselves as the great vanguards for small-D democracy. Uh, and you had something to say about that to them, which was nice. Well, I, I, yes, I did have something to say to them. I was a little reluctant to go because, it's. It, I, I mean, I knew I would be outnumbered like 3,000 to 1, or I guess because President Millet was there, 3,000 to 2. Right. But I went on behalf of the average American, right? And and they absolutely abhor, they, the people at Davos, absolutely abhor not just President Trump, but any of us who deign to challenge their desire to continue to concentrate wealth and power. So I had a great time telling them the truth. I also had a great time watching a few of them just totally melt down in the audience because they can't handle the truth. Yeah, well, and and it and the uh, the truth that you gave them was wide ranging. I mean, it was top line, but wide ranging covered a number of topics, uh, including their you know all these great small L liberal small D Democrats that that like to defer uh, the policy making for the world to Chinese communists. You made mention of that, and and of course the other feature topic always in Davos, at least in the last decade is the climate apocalypse, and you had uh, comments on both of those topics. Right, and, and it, you think about Davos, it's, it's hypocrisy layered on top of hypocrisy, and the two examples you just mentioned, Dan, China and their, their religion, which is climate change, actually go hand-in-hand hand as hypocrisies, as you know well. And in particular, what the, the point that I tried to drive home to them was, how is it that on the one hand you can tell us that Climate change is happening, and the world's going to end in the next 10 years, which you've been telling us, by the way, for the last 40. So that, that's one point. But how can you continue to tell us that on the one hand? But then on the other hand, invite the Chinese Communist Party, which initiates the greatest pollution in the world. They're basically not signatories to your revered Bible agreement, the Paris Agreement. And, and on top of their human rights abuses, you give them a platform at Davos. It tells me that maybe – Something else is your goal, and that something else that is their goal, Dan, is to take power away from America. Why do they want to do that? Because America is the icon for freedom and self-governance, and that's ultimately what they want to destroy. Did you learn anything from your time there? I learned that the World Economic Forum is as bad as you would expect, but that's about it. Really, yeah. Maybe worse. Did uh, did you have time to— (laughs) Maybe worse. Did you have time to— you know, have a scotch with Klaus Schwab by chance or no? Was he unavailable? You know, I I, I would have uh, sort of enjoyed that because I, I would have enjoyed telling the man eyeball to eyeball what, what I thought. But uh, I, I, I didn't run into him. I didn't spend a, <clears throat> excuse me. I didn't spend a whole lot of time at the conference itself because I, I, I didn't want to, any of that to seep into my DNA. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I did almost literally run into John Kerry as I was exiting on Thursday. Oh. And uh, after after Mr. Schwab, uh, Mr. Kerry, of course, is considered like the hero of the World Economic Forum. So maybe another time, but uh, not this time. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have to go back to at least, you know, the clips. I didn't the only 
uh, speeches I watched in full or remarks I watched in full were yours and, and Mele's, but I saw clips of some of the others, Carrie, Carrie's daughter. But this woman who founded a group called Stop Ecocide Now, who wants ecocide to be defined as a criminal action. So um, if you harm the environment as she defines it, you know, given thinking about the kind of statutory language she would include under the charge of ecocide, then um, you should be held uh, accountable before a criminal court. I mean, potentially imprisoned. And she specifically mentions, I mean, she just met, you know, people like uh, farmers and fishermen are some of the worst offenders of ecocide. So you have serious people listening, well, allegedly serious people, but highly educated, wealthy, um, powerful. They're, you know, part of the administrative states and all these Western countries listening to somebody and probably most of them nodding their heads talking about uh, locking up farmers and fishermen for ecocide. And 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 apparently they're just completely oblivious to what we've seen in terms of revolts from farmers uh, in places like the Netherlands and places like Germany, what we saw in Canada. I mean, the, the what you said, you just can't put enough exclamation points behind the idea of the disdain they have for people that they see as their their lessers, the rabble. No, it's it, it's so true, Dan, and it, it it reminds me of of Amy's good question about you know what what did I learn? Well, I, I learned that I mean they actually believe these things. I mean, you the three of us can have this conversation. I'm sure most of your audience are saying, "Come on, I mean the eco side, they don't really believe this." Oh, they do, and and when they say that, those of us who have children, those of us who like farmers, those of us, including myself, who like to fish, like to eat, we are all yeah. like <laughs> to eat, I like yeah, meat. You know, we, we, yeah. You know, by the way, I should just say I, I celebrated you know, my own um, abuse of ecocide by having a really big steak in Davos. After <laughs> oh, good. Nice. But but the, the real point is they want to end agriculture across the world. I mean, that came out of John Kerry's mouth. And, and obviously that hurts all of us, It particularly right now this year as we're going into the spring, hurts farmers in places like Germany and the Netherlands and Ireland. And ultimately, to sum up here, that kind of agenda is coming here if the left continues to win elections in this country. That's that's not alarmism. And so America is, in fact, one of the last best hopes to, to stand up against Davos. And, and I guess ultimately I'm glad that I went not just to read them the riot act, but to see firsthand that they really do believe this nonsense about things such as ecocide. Well, when you were I, speaking, what was their reaction in the crowd? Like what kind of facial expressions were they making? A lot of crying. Oh, Amy, it was it was glorious. They were, uh, I mean, there were audible gasps anytime <laughs> I talked about climate change or or China. And 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 one guy, one one European guy in some skinny jeans just had a total meltdown in the front row. It was glorious. <laughs> that was no European in skinny jeans. That was John Kerry, Kevin. Um, so, if only. Uh, yeah. So, so um, any uh, any um, reflection on uh, the uh, uh, migrant issue among the uh, elites there? Anybody noticing what's happening in the, in Western Europe and the Western world and and saying uh, maybe the uh, open borders uh, paradigm is not the right one? Any conversations like that occur that you saw or heard? 
Uh, well, there were conversations, but they were all defensive. And I'm glad you asked that question for this reason. They are the organizers of the World Economic Forum are realizing that they've, they've got to back up a little bit, uh, for example, on their ESG agenda. They're not going to back up on the climate change alarmism, but they realize that the reaction to the environmental social governance stuff has been very successful. So they're backing up there. I think they will eventually back up a little bit on, on their embrace of the Chinese Communist Party. But to your question, they do not understand the backlash that's occurring because of migration. I mean, I, I had some some sidebar conversations with some of the attendees just to ask that question, and they, they simply don't understand, A, the scale of the problem just in terms of, of social um, cohesion and, and economics, but they, B, they don't understand the political cataclysm that is going to befall any political movement, including the, the British conservatives, for not addressing the problem. And, and I mean, frankly, just to be really blunt here, there's going to be political hell to pay on these elites in the coming years. Unfortunately, it's going to be after all this damage is done from open borders. Yeah, it's. I mean, again, I just it's, it's sort of like listening to people saying uh, we should imprison farmers. I mean, you're so the, the, the protesting you see in the streets and places like Dublin that has not made an impression on you? You think that's just a, you know, uh, a few right-wing extremists uh, uh, promoting white supremacy or something? I mean, is that what they think, that there's just, like, real regular people, our kind of people, have no concerns about this? I mean, are, are they able to read polling on this? I mean, it's not particularly obtuse uh, how unpopular the open borders position is and how much chaos it's uh, inflicted. Well, it ought to be pretty simple to them. But in fact, they believe that they can they can ignore it and they can count on their allies in the media to help them ignore it, to to obscure that these protests are happening. And when the news sort of penetrates the, the, the consciousness of, of, of average people in places like Ireland and, and the UK, they then, to your point, Dan, portray the, the, the reactions of, of of being by people who really are like knuckle draggers. I mean, they they think that it's impossible for someone who's reacting to these open borders to actually be a rational, thinking, normal human being. That's mm. one of the biggest disconnects that that exists, and that frankly I saw firsthand in multiple conversations there. Mm -hmm. uh, one other uh, uh, point I thought, thought was interesting: Emma Tucker, who's the editor in chief of the Wall Street Journal, uh, in this roundtable about the media. Uh, essentially conceded that uh, the legacy brands like her outlet, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, you know which ones they are. The legacy brands don't have the sort of control over information flow that they used to have. Now, she said this, you know, wistfully. She wasn't not ecstatic about it, but she's telling the truth regardless, even if it's a truth she's uh, not happy to confront. So that that's a good that's some good news out of coming out of there too. I mean, it's good news, bad news. They recognize they don't have that control, but it's control they seek. And this, you know, and so the next stage is the social media companies, the tech oligarchs, colluding with these legacy brands to try to marginalize uh, other information outlets. That that would be my fear. What's yours? Yeah, that, I think that's that's the precise fear, and they're even better at it. The, the, the tech oligarchs uh, than are the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. So that, that ought to be uh, really concerning. And I'll, I'll tell you a story of the, the week prior to going to Davos. I was meeting with a couple dozen 
House Republicans here in D.C. about the way forward on the border and some bills. This is all connected to what you said. And one of them said, well, Kevin, you know, I'm a little less worried about the, the tech oligarchs. And, and this is a good guy. And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm not sure why you would say that, because as we sit here, you're running for reelection. And there's a 90, there are 99 times, you're, you're 99 times more likely to have a fundraising email sent into a spam filter because of the tech oligarchs than a Democrat colleague. And I said, this is just one example, obviously, just in the political sphere. The rest of us out here in kind of the normal world encounter this just utter condescension, including by Emma Tucker of the Journal, that they want to control us. And, and therefore, to sum up here, even though the Journal and the Times see that they're influence over us is waning to your point dan they are going to lean they are leaning on their friends the tech oligarchs to to continue to control us we as people you think about solution we have to be a lot more cognizant of of what we consume and and that 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 fracturing of where we get our news while the the powers that be lament it ultimately we celebrate it. Y'all celebrate it with what you do. I celebrate it here at Heritage. And we have to do more of that. It's really important that we consume from outlets that don't hate us. Kevin Roberts, President, Heritage Foundation. Kevin, thank you as always. Thanks, Dan and Amy. Always a pleasure. Take care. Thanks. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank. Gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois. But you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt Not a matter of if anymore but when You're moving out I said, when you're moving out Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That theme music means it's time for our weekly confab with Ted Dabrowski, president of Wirepoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy-related. Back in uh, December... Uh, we brought you this story that was uh, penned by uh, reporters for Block Club Chicago, looking at some of the politically connected developers, real estate developers. Is, any, is there any other kind than the politically connected? Not if you want to do business in the city. That the politically connected real estate developers that were the property owners of buildings being used by the city to house migrants. Phil Denny owner of Peppercorn Capital, the self-proclaimed king of the West Loop. And that's how he refers to himself, self-proclaimed. Thus. Does he wear a crown around? I don't know. <laughs> he should. Uh, A.G. Hollis, investor, MAB Capital Management. And Scott Goodman, founding principal of Fairpoint uh, Development, also a leader of the team picked by the city to redevelop the Michael Reese Hospital site. So... Um, uh, basically, the the gist of it, without getting too much into the numbers, is that uh, the properties these guys own, they were receiving well above market rents for housing migrants, in, particularly in an environment where this just in commercial office space is not exactly uh, enjoying the salad days. 
So a little bit of new information on Scott Goodman, who apparently, this is Fairpoint, apparently um, uh, also is uh, the owner of the uh, warehouse at 2341 South Halstead, where that five-year-old kid died. Um, Scott Goodman is charging the city of Chicago. This is uh, some uh, legwork that was done by a, a friend of mine. Goodman is charging the city of Chicago $60 a square foot to lease his property. To put that in perspective, the nicest office building in Chicago, Chicago River Point, is leasing at $53 a square foot. Oh, my goodness. The average price of an industrial lease in Chicago is $10 a square foot, and these properties are zoned as industrial. The city of Chicago is paying about $16.5 million a year for shelters to Scott Goodman. That's just one of them. You know, that's just one of the guys. Prior to the lucrative city contract, the three industrial buildings sat unleased for five to seven years. The, um, they were unleased for five or seven years, and now they're under contract with the city at, this, at these prices. Well, three, who came up with that, those prices? That's th- an exorbitant, th- ridiculous amount of money. 344 North Ogden, yeah. 106,000 square feet, $6.3 million annually, the lease. 1308 North Halstead, 84,000 square feet, $5 million annually. 2341 South Halstead, 86,000 square feet, $5.1 million annually. Those are the leases. There's your 16.5 a year, just for those three properties. By the way, my friend also noted that Goodman, this politically connected real estate developer, failed to pay his 2022 property taxes of $180,000 at the shelter being used at 1308 North Elston. Uh, he had the money to do it, didn't he? He does now, or he will. How's the city? Of, but he, the question is, well, how's okay. the city of Chicago renting from a landlord who's delinquent on his property taxes? Well, you know, professional courtesy. Probably. Uh, that's that's where things are at uh, in in the city. Now maybe you understand the source of some of uh, BLM Brandon's panic attacks, if those reports are true, when uh, this information gets more widely distributed, and with a recalcitrant Governor Jelly Boy who uh, is not helping him facilitate migrants out of the city into the suburbs, which I understand is what he really wants to see happen. Right. And yesterday, Mayor Johnson told older people that there will be no more new migrant shelters set up in Chicago. And Governor Pritzker, that was news to him. I'm deeply concerned. Uh, We do not have enough shelter as it is in the city of Chicago. Uh, The city has not told the state where they would like us to put our resources to build new shelters or help them build new shelters. So we can't help if they don't identify those locations. Uh, And we need to make sure that we're uh, not ending shelter capacity, as the city is now planning to do, at the end of winter. If you think this problem is going to end when the temperature warms up, it's not. We still need shelter for people. So I'm deeply concerned, and I'm hoping that um, at least the plan that I read uh, this morning, actually, in your column. uh, Yeah, so uh, right hand's not talking to the left hand, but, you know, Mayor Johnson rescheduled that migrant meeting with the Chicago mayors, original, or Chicago area mayors. 275 originally invited. 30 showed up yesterday. They went from the United Center just to the mayor's office, and it was via Zoom. 
but no word yet on what was accomplished and if any suburban mayors agreed to take any migrants. Which yeah, well, why isn't Jelly Belly helping out? I I I, I I'm listening to the buck passing. In that clip you just heard, why is he helping out? Well, when I asked him that last press conference, I said, we have 102 counties. Why, why can't we spread this out? He's like, they've already been traumatized enough, Amy, these migrants are put on buses where they don't know where they're going. I said, that's not true. They know exactly where they're going. Um, but that was, he said, they're coming here. We don't want to disrupt their lives anymore. Yeah, that's uh, all really interesting. The point is that what you're seeing happening is, they, they're not getting along. BLM Brandon wants him to facilitate migrants out in the suburbs. He doesn't want to do it. So he's pretending he's pretending like they have no look see at the plans or the lack thereof going into uh, going on in the city. And they're just sort of innocent bystanders. You're the governor. You got a regional problem. Whether whether they all get moved to the city or they some peel off in the suburbs or whatever. You're the governor. Mm-hmm. Big boy. Oh, uh, I, I'm really concerned about this. And I'm concerned about that. I could give a rat's ass about what you're concerned about. Your concerns don't amount to anything with respect to people's quality of life. So what are you going to do about it, big talker? Forget BLM Brandon for a second. Don't let Spalding get away with his routine again. BLM Brandon is an easy target. Aim at the bigger one. For more on this, Ted, thanks for joining us as always. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, guys. Well, you know, Fritzker says uh, the uh, migrant thing, migrant crisis won't end uh, when it gets warm. And I think this uh, this battle between Fritzker and Johnson won't end anytime, anytime soon. I predict it's going to get a lot worse. Uh, you're right. Johnson is an easy target. But also Pritzker hates what Johnson does things, in my opinion. You know, Pritzker's, Pritzker's very competent in being incompetent. Pritzker is competent at being incompetent. Yeah, that is a good way to put it. No, he puts a yeah. he puts this, you know, I'm so earnest and I'm so concerned face on being a uh, the you know the presider over a failing mob economy. He's tweeting out uh, you know celebratory notes about. Uh, the record sales in cannabis and the uh, the money coming in from the the casino in uh, the the the, uh, uh, the fiscal benefits of our bipartisan gaming bill coming to Danville, right? G- gambling, abortion, payday loans, and uh, uh, and drugs, and you know it's great. That, drug sales are great. It's, it's it's fantastic, and, I, and I'll tell you. I want to comment on, on the on the money you were talking about being spent on the on the migrant shelters. And this uh, Scott Goodman, who I, I don't I don't haven't followed him, um, but you know we're trying to do our homework on on all this money being spent, and uh, we've got some some FOIA results coming in, and, and also just access to what the, what the state publishes. And you know I think it's going to reveal some things. It's hard for us to, to pinpoint where this money goes, but there are these massive number of grants, right? So you're talking about all this millions of dollars that, that Pritzker's doled out. 160 million is promised, plus all the all the healthcare spending and all that. You know, we're, we're well over a billion, billion right? Now. Yeah, right. Yeah, easy. I mean, easy. And uh, but so you start opening up these. You know, you start clicking, you start getting all these grants. God knows, there's so much money being flowing to all these different groups. We'll never know, what, you know, what the accountability of that was. And um, you, you got to know, just like in this case of, of you know, these 60 dollars per square foot rents, 
you got to know that this money is just flowing everywhere, buying off all kinds of people or, or enriching a lot of people. But uh, unfortunately, this kind of in kind of government, we, we don't know. In this mob economy, as you called it, uh, we have no idea how this money is being spent. Well, here's here's uh, where they want to go as well, too. This is talk about be, he's uh, competent at being incompetent. I like that phrase talking about uh, Governor Spaulding. The Department of Human Services is looking to cut $87 million in funding for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Mm. <laughs> so so let me let me understand something. And I can't believe uh, this is a fight that uh, Jelly Boy wants to pick, probably just happening you know, unbeknownst to him, you know, sort of like uh, whatever is happening below his belt is happen- is unbeknownst to him. Uh, $87 million cut to funding for social service providers who serve the uh, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities against the backdrop of what you just said. More than a billion dollars spent on migrants so far and Jelly Belly standing before the uh, docile Chicago press court. Oh, I'm concerned about this. And he's got to give us a plan to see if we can invest more. We got to build more migrant, blah, blah. Right. All this and then all the talk, as always happens. Are you listening, all you liberal magpies in the in the suburbs? Good grief. That they're looking to to eighty seven million dollars. I mean that that eighty seven million dollars in the state budget is chump change. But just the fact this is how indifferent they are truly to the truly vulnerable while they're playing their politics with everybody else's money, uh, trying to you know backfill the population of Illinois so we don't lose a another congressional seat or two next census. Yeah, and then and then of course you know Johnson wants to raise taxes for you know quote homelessness. Uh, again, you know, another hundred million purportedly. Uh, it's another tax hike, and, and he wants to do it on on, on the real estate, which which we talked about. You know, what what, it, what the doom loop that, that it's in. Uh, so again, that's that's the craziness too, right? So we we take tons of money, spend it on on migrants that we can't that that aren't citizens, and then we turn around, and raise taxes, and hurt the very city we're pretending that we're, we're trying to help. And it's a you know it's it's a cluster. The people who voted for this guy, and vote for all those legislators down there. I mean, I, 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 they, they cannot be held in low enough repute. They cannot be uh, deserving of too much scorn. It is so noxious. The billions and the moral preening, and you're going to lecture me, and you turn around and you're going to try and take some relatively relatively modest amount of money but not modest to those social service providers away from service providers who make a little bit above minimum wage most of the frontline workers i know i've got some experience in this sector and uh and and you know and and are doing frankly the work that the state has no capacity to do not to mention the promises that were made and made every freaking cycle by these same politicians i i these people are so despicable, it is difficult to put into words. And the people who support them, and I, I hope this is you know radiating out, I hope it motivates some people to communicate this, are as slimy and disgusting and barbaric as the politicians they support. It could not be more stark. If it wasn't stark enough before, it's... I don't know what else brings it home than the billions being spent on people in this country illegally, some of whom are doing the residents of Illinois harm. 
and you're cutting $87 million from families families who have a family member with an intellectual developmental disability. I mean, that is Illinois in a nutshell. I think I think the chaos is just starting, Dan. You know, uh, you know, we're going to have to, in theory, kick out the uh, kick out these migrants from shelters. That's going to create a lot of chaos as well, right? Because, uh, like, like in, in February first, it's going to be warmer. Uh, it's they, they have no plan, they have no idea, and uh, what we just have to watch is kind of keep continue to, to kind of self destruct. Well, I mean, you know, look, I don't want Scott Goodman to lose his sweetheart Lisa's. That's what's important. Scum. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a good Scum. deal. Scum. These people. All right. On a happier note, uh, how was your uh, school choice event last night with Ian Rowe? Hey, Dan, we, you know, we talk about a lot of the problems, but I tell you, it's really inspiring. Ian Rowe and what he's done in the South Bronx uh, with, with school choice. You know, he told us about taking on the unions. He told us about how they, they you know, they had 11,000 people march over. I forget which bridge, one of, one of the big bridges. Uh, they, they've done a great job of motivating people to push back and fight back against the unions, something we haven't done a good enough job of here. Uh, really inspiring. And then we also had uh, Preston Kendall from Cristo Ray Schools and Jennifer Burns from uh, uh, Classical Consortium Academy. And I tell you, just to be with leaders, with innovators, with people who are not willing to lower the bar, who are willing to, to, to talk about faith and family and virtues in school, it, it felt really good. It was, it was a great, great event. Ted Dabrowski, President of WirePoints, WirePoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Thanks for indulging my ranting, Ted. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. More uh, the uh, hijinks from that uh, the, you know, uh, important investigative body. It was bipartisan, don't you know? I'm talking about the J6 Star Chamber, lorded over by Benny Thompson and facilitated with uh, Republican Quislings, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. Digital forensics team and employed by the House Administration Subcommittee and Oversight, discovered a data deletion that occurred on January 1st of 2023. Oh, interesting. Data deletion in terms of the information called together by the J6 committee that was to be turned over to the uh, new leadership in the House. They're trying to recover 117 encrypted files that the House Select J6 Committee deleted before Republicans took the majority last year. Morgan Griffith, Republican from Virginia, saying the reports are accurate. Unfortunately, we cannot determine what was in the deleted files. They're attempting to do that at present. No, you know, the purveyors of transparency, these uh, uh, patriotic fact finders, we're told, and we were witness to in prime time, you might recall, during that uh, Torquemada-like performance of that committee. Yes, Uh they they, set aside The Bachelor for this one night on a Thursday, yes. Why is this important? It's important, well, it's important on a number of levels, just in terms of the 
scams your government runs on you. That's number one. But uh, why is it important in this time, even though that has since been passed? Because that's the entire campaign of the Democrat Party, Democrat Socialists. That's that was the Biden speech at Valley Forge. That was the Biden speech in Charleston. Then his uh, surrogates were dispatched to go on the talk shows to repeat what he read at Valley Forge and Charleston. It's the whole thing. Save our democracy versus MAGA dictatorship. And the J6 committee is supposed to be uh, the part of the evidentiary body that compels your support for Joe Biden, the American people's support for Joe Biden to prevent this insurrectionist crowd from seizing control of the federal government and ending our representative republic. That's the line they're selling. For more on all this, we're pleased to be joined by Scott McKay. Scott, of course, is the publisher of The Hayride. He's also a contributor, contributing editor at American Spectator, an author of Racism, Revenge, and Ruin, which uh, focuses on our very own native son, Barack Obama. Scott, thanks for joining us. As always, appreciate it. Dan, Amy, it's always a pleasure, and today is no exception. Uh, today is a primary day in New Hampshire. How exciting. Uh, what do you yeah. anticipate will happen today and then uh, tomorrow in terms of whether or not this uh, Republican primary campaign uh, continues in a significant way or not? Well, there's a Suffolk poll out, and I guess it's a tracking poll. Um, and it has Trump at 60 and Haley at 38. Um I think that might be a little high for Haley, except I know there's going to be a lot of Democrats who cross over and vote in that primary. Um, And that's going to, I think, inflate the amount of support that Haley has. I don't know what she's going to do, maybe mid-30s, I guess. Um, And that probably is enough to keep her going, at least for a little while longer. But what I would expect is once we get into the closed primaries, which you start to see uh, after South Carolina, uh, it's going to it's going to be really patently obvious that Haley is not a factor of any great note within the Republican uh, primaries. And I think at that point, the money will dry up and she'll have to get out. You know, she had 19 percent in Iowa and she had to get Democrat crossover votes to get that. Um, and she spent more money in Iowa than anybody else, which should tell you something. I don't think she has much of a constituency within the party. I think her constituency is the mainstream media, which is what Mitt Romney and John McCain's constituency was. Um, the difference is, is you actually have somebody who represents the rest of the party, which is two thirds, three quarters, four fifths of Republican voters. So, this, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry for interrupting, but the South Carolina primary is about a month away, so you think she's going to last even if she loses, which she's going to come in second place, obviously, at a two-horse race. She'll stay in it until after South Carolina? I mean, she might not, but she's going to have the money to do that. So it wouldn't surprise me if she stuck around. And what you can really look for is a whole bunch of brand-new, quote-unquote, damaging revelations about Trump to kick in after New Hampshire, um, where they just kind of pour the kitchen sink out and see if that'll shake Republican voters off Trump, which it won't, because at this point, 
you know, I, I think that for the most part, the Republican electorate has an emotional bond with Trump by now. And like, they're just not listening. And they probably shouldn't because the people that are going to make negative accusations against Trump burned through their credibility a long time ago, um, especially with Republican voters. And so, like, I just think this thing is baked into the cake. And the question is, will the donor class and the GOP establishment respect and accept the fact that the, the party's electorate has moved on from them? Uh, well, the um, uh, yeah, some moved on from some of them. But uh, the uh, the other thing that's happening concurrent, though, is and you've seen it in New Hampshire, especially, is you just have like a parade of uh, Republican uh, office holders trekking up to New Hampshire to stand with Trump on the dais. I mean, in- including some candidates who have not gotten on the race like Ramaswamy and Scott and um but it's just it's like this becomes a snowball rolling downhill where you have Republican Party regulars, those with titles uh, trekking up, like I said, to New Hampshire and, and, and or, or otherwise announcing their endorsements of Trump. I mean, it's so that this whole thing seems, um, you know, the, the, the idea that this race would continue in any meaningful way after today just seems difficult to conjure. Well, I don't disagree with you on that, and yet I'm looking at Washington, and you have Republican senators trying to do an immigration, comprehensive immigration deal with Democrats. And it's like, how out of touch could you possibly get? That's literally the only way that the Republicans can lose in 2024, and they're actively attempting to do it. and so you can call that treason or sabotage or whatever you want to call it, but like these guys do what they do, and and they're a little bit like Obama Democrats in that they don't give up. You know, they're different from Obama Democrats in that Obama Democrats find a way to win a lot, whereas Bush establishment Republicans find a way to lose constantly and yet keep, I, I can't even say keep fighting, they keep existing. Uh, well, what about Mike Johnson, since uh, he hails from uh, your general vicinity? Um, right. I, you know, I mean, it's one thing to dismiss what Lankford and those Quislings and Republicans in the Senate are doing. But Mike Johnson, you know, we understand the narrow majority he has, and we understand he's got some big spenders in that caucus, and he's got some weak knees in that caucus. But is he aggressive enough on this issue in— saying essentially we're not doing anything until you do hr2 or at least give us remain in mexico we're just it is everything is shut down until that happens that's what that's what uh, the where the party is and that's not where he is well you know he is in probably the classic no-win situation because he cannot get to 218 votes with aggressive enforcement um, they passed H.R. 2, which would constitute aggressive enforcement, and the Senate won't take it up. So he's in a he's in this kind of shutdown politics scenario, um, which never benefits or favors the Republicans yeah, for the I, simple I, reason that he can't stay. He can't get his group to stand together. And so like, I don't know where his room to move comes from now. Um, 
you know, he's had to do a CR because he's trying to get the budget to regular order, and he can't do that with the, the 2024 budget. He has to start it with the 25 budget because that's what he was left with by McCarthy. Um, and he keeps losing political capital with every CR he does, but he doesn't have another option. Um, and then you have this, you know, the Ukraine funding and the border and all this kind of stuff, and he's getting absolutely no help whatsoever from Mitch McConnell, which he has to have, because if the Republicans in the Senate sell out to Schumer, then Johnson's all alone with basically half of the House. Um, and he like his negotiating leverage is nil, so he can stand on principle and nothing happens, and the, the flow of migrants across the border just keeps on going. Um, so I, like, I, don't know, I don't know that there's any fix for any of this until after the 24 election, you know, if then. Well, Abbott should take all the illegals that are coming into his state and send them to D.C., Delaware, or yes. the steps of the Supreme Court. You're like, okay, you wanted That's this. Exactly Here right. you go. No. What are you going to do no, now? I, no, it's Amy. not exactly right. No, no, it's not exactly right. What he should do is Mike Johnson should stand on principle, like you just said, and those migrants should be sent to uh, members of his caucus who are unwilling to go to the mat on this. That's what should be happening. You want? I mean, well, he could do that. That that's 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 I, where it belongs. Well, I had a I I Amy, I had an American Spectator column this morning that said exactly that. If you turn D.C. into a giant refugee camp and they're housing people uh, in, you know, all of the the, uh, the the clubs and and hotels and apartment buildings where members of Congress are, you might actually get a little bit of movement on this issue because, generally speaking, Washington simply is not listening on this, and I think it's because. They're more than happy to have regular Americans feel the pain of this so long as they don't. And until you find a way to make these people feel their own pain as a result of their policies, you're not going to get any solution of this at all. But we do know that, you know, sending migrants to Martha's Vineyard and Chicago and some of these other places, that actually does get people's attention. So I think they do need to go to Washington from now on. Put a big white tent on the mall. Yeah, and they sent him to Kamala Harris's front steps, and that doesn't move the policy. You're not going to move the open borders crowd that you're because you're not their constituency, and they don't care. I mean, how, how much clearer yeah. could that be? But Republicans, what they do a terrible job at doing, and to per what's happening with the Senate right now, as you were just describing, and what frustrates people about Republicans, I'll speak for myself, I know it in a Republican Party that destroyed itself in my home state of Illinois, is policing themselves. You know, it's easy to do the whole Brandon Johnson and Pritzker and Eric Adams and Hochul and on down the line. Um, how about the enemies inside your perimeter? How about when you have the majority in the House, as the Republicans do, you say, look, this is a red line, to borrow a phrase, and this is what we have to do. And if it costs me the speakership because we've got big spenders and uh, open border sympathizers in the caucus, oh, well, 
then it does. But if we're ever going to stand on principle on something, this is the moment to do it. The other side couldn't be more upside down. The regular people in this country are finally focused on this because of what Abbott and to a lesser extent DeSantis have done. And so let's take advantage of it and let's demonstrate to the American people that there really is a choice and that it's not just a rhetorical one, that we're actually committed to this and we will go to the mat on this for them. That's what Trump would do if he was in office. I would I would love it if every member of that delegation would would take to heart what you just said, because maybe you could get somewhere. Um, but look, Mitch McConnell is the uh, caucus leader for the GOP in the Senate. And he's half dead. OK, and the guy has done nothing but engineer defeats for the party since 2007. And those people over there do not have the stones to make a move on him and get rid of him. I understand. And until you I have understand. that, I like, I don't, I, I everything that, that we're talking about here is, I don't want to say performative, but it's, 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 you know, you're talking about how good you are, but you can't make policy unless McConnell is pushed out and somebody with a little bit more of a, of a, um, affinity for the GOP's position takes over in his place. And that's the problem right now is the Senate, I think. Well, I agree. That's the problem in the Senate. But yeah, I mean, look, if 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 80 percent of popular support for your position is not enough leverage to uh, wage war, I mean, I I don't know what is, you know, I know I like and I, you know, right now, I don't know that there's a solution to this problem when you have these entrenched uh, I, I wouldn't even say out of touch. It's not that a guy like a McConnell is out of touch. He's actively engaged in sabotaging his own voting base. Well, well, right. So, so send, I mean, this is my point. So, hey, Abbott, send migrants to uh, Oklahoma. Send them to Jim Lankford's office. Send them to his hometown. Send them to his neighborhood. That's my point. Yeah. Now you, now well, you really get, now you're really cooking with fire. Uh, one busload of migrants that shows up in uh, you know on the street in front of Mitch McConnell's office in uh, uh, I don't know where is his Lexington main or uh, wherever. office yeah, in right. Lexington yeah and and uh, you know all of a sudden you're going to have certainly the whole state of Kentucky is going to is going to go into a media frenzy mode exactly um, and McConnell's got to say something from that problem is uh, you know you didn't elect a Republican governor over there so you can't maximize it because what'll happen is you know, Andy Bashir is going to talk about how the Republicans don't care about the people of Kentucky and all this kind of stuff. And then it goes off in that direction. But I'd still do it. Sure, why not? It's one busload of migrants. It's a symbolic thing. And then send the rest to D.C. And drop them off at the, at the you know, whichever, uh, what is it, the Rayburn building that's the, where the Senate offices is? Drop them off there. Scott McKay, publisher of The Hayride, contributor, American Spectator, author of his new book, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. Scott, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. 
días cuando tiran, a veces los días jueves, a veces hay días ahora que tienen la gente la basura. So my children go out every day searching for food. They go to the garbage dump every day, especially on Thursdays when we have seen cars and trucks bringing the trash from other cities. Many times they just don't find anything, so they come back empty-handed and we just sit here and pray to God that the next day we'll have something and on that day we only drink water. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Of course, that's uh, part of the impetus for the Food for the Poor campaign that we do and uh, did this past holiday season, and we've extended it into the new year offering a few more business benefactor opportunities in particular. For more on where our fundraising uh, stands, our campaign stands, of course this is in Chicago, but it's company-wide, Salem Broadcasting. Um, we're just trying to do our part here in the Chicago market. We're pleased to be joined again by Anitra Parmalee, who is with a fundraiser for Food for the Poor. Anitra, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. 24 with an extraordinary oh. impact. We're talking about a one-time gift of $160, providing four children like those of the mother you just heard. Four children will receive food for a year. A business benefactor gift of $2,500 provides 62 children. Dan, I mean, I'm a visual person, so I'm thinking of two classrooms like your children or your grandchildren attend. Two classrooms will eat for a year. I mean, that's extraordinary. That's something to circle this date on your calendar. Uh, yeah, there's there's no question. Um, and you know, just with respect to how the campaign went this holiday season, um, I, I think people would like uh, an understanding of um, uh, how much progress we made. You know, again, the, the sort of the need is almost infinite, but how much progress we made, how many people they're participating and helping by uh, partnering with Food for the Poor through us. Well, literally thousands of children and hundreds of families got the news that they are going to have food for a year. And when you put yourself into their situation, these are mothers and fathers who are today waking up and they have no hope because of a lack of jobs and runaway food prices and the tail end of COVID distancing has broken the back of the local economy they have nowhere to turn except to the listeners of AM560, except to your listeners. And already, as I said, thousands of children have been moved from hunger into knowing they're going to have food for a year, moved from darkness into light. They and, have and known that it's because of God. Yeah, Amy. Know, and and, and how, how quickly, you know, just in sort of the, the mechanics of this, how quickly – does uh, somebody's donation, somebody joining a business benefactor program today, for example, uh, how quickly does that translate into the notification and the delivery of, of life-saving food? Well, you can imagine when lives are hanging on the balance, it's instantaneous. Because of technology, I am actually watching the gifts come in right this moment. So we are keeping our project managers, our partners in the ground, the ministers, the pastors on the ground up to date. Because to be blunt, 
we brought a long list to your listeners. And as we have been checking off those names, we have relied on the generosity. So it really is because of technology, it is almost instantaneous. We can see exactly how many families are going to eat for a year because of your listeners' generosity. And let's talk about our business benefactor program. We have a lot of business benefactors that were so gracious. They made a one-time donation of $2,500 as a way of saying thank you. We're giving them uh, 41-minute commercials. You can already hear some of their commercials that are airing right here. And If you listen to this station, we ask you to please support them because of their generous donation. Applied mechanical sales, reliable plating, Grace Lutheran Church in Streamwood, Favia Family Dental, that's my dentist in Arlington (laughs) Heights, Uh, Birdies for Kids, Dutch Farms, Um, But we still have some openings, and if you own a business or make the marketing decisions for your company, this is the time to act. This is a way to take your business to the next level while still helping people in need, children who need to eat. I mean, the starvation, folks, it is real, and it is serious, and people die. Children die every year because they don't have enough food or water or medicine, and food for the poor can make a difference. So the number to call. Her name is Anjanette, by the way. The number to call is 847-472-8951. That's 847-472-8951 or visit 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor. But let's talk about that $2,500. I mean, you mentioned it's it's a class, two classrooms full of kids that could eat for an entire year. And talk about return on investment. I mean, we are so grateful for our partnership with AM560, with your show. So many people, when they go to 560theanswer.com and click on that red Give Life banner, or as you said, call Anjanette, they're expressing their joy that not only are they advancing their business and exposing their specific business and the amazing values they offer, but also... Also, to recognize that because of our partnership with the station, they are also changing the lives of 62 children. I mean, imagine if it's like an elementary school playground. You know, imagine all of those children, listless, lethargic. Amy, you've seen it yourself. These are not the children we're accustomed to seeing. The malnutrition has just stolen their future as well as their present. But because of your gift right now, of any size, whether you're able to come in as a business partner at $2,500 or if you're able to give a gift of $80 and rescue two children, the impact is phenomenal. All of a sudden, the hair is no longer uh, red because of now nutrition. All of a sudden, they have hope and a future. There's laughter. There's mischievousness. As a parent, imagine longing for your children to be up to something because you know it means that they're getting proper nutrition. I mean, the impact is incredible. And we're so grateful to everybody who's already stepped up as a business benefactor Your food is even now being distributed in the name of your business, in the name of your commitment, not just to see your business get the the recognition that it needs, but also to change the lives of 62 children. I mean, amazing. $2,500, 
62 children eating two meals a day for a year. I mean, that is some God-drenched math. Uh, and, you know, is there any sense of, of urgency? I mean, there, the obvious sense of urgency is people are on the brink of starvation. But is there any sense of urgency just in terms of the timing, the logistics, you know, seasonal weather in places like Haiti that are being served? You know, that that uh, where, you know, you guys have this mapped out, you've got the calendar, you've got the uh, the, the, the transportation issues figured out. But um, just in terms of we need to get, uh, you know, X amount of dollars in to feed X amount of people. And we've got these windows of maximum opportunity. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Because today we are asking you, inviting you to be a part of rescuing 100 children. That's moving them from hunger into getting food for a year. So maybe it's you stepping up as a business benefactor. Maybe you can give a gift of $160 and rescue four children. Gifts of every size, every motivation are changing the world for children in Haiti. We just spoke to our office in Haiti. As you know, we have 400 staff members who are working tirelessly to get the food that arrives or they're able to purchase in country to these families. And because of the situation in Haiti, they are literally risking their lives, but they know that on the other side of their efforts are families who are perishing in isolation. And so I just think of you as you're listening now, you begin this cascade of grace. You begin this cascade of of a future because the, everything is in place, as you mentioned, Dan. There are logistics. There, there are pastors and ministers ready to distribute it, whether they're driving a pickup truck or a 18-wheeler or bringing a wheelbarrow to the distribution center. They have families who are clinging to life right now. And your gift begins everything. There is no food for the poor without you. We are a bridge between your generosity and these families who are waking up wondering, is there going to be food today? Because of your one-time gift, the answer is going to be yes. She is Anitra Parmalee. She's a fundraiser for Food for the Poor. And Amy, again, that information on the Business Benefactor Program. Yes, call Ann Jeanette Natowski at 847 847- Four seven two eighty nine fifty one. Write it down eight four seven four seven two eighty nine fifty one or visit five sixty the answer dot com slash food for the poor. Anitra, thanks so much as always. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I love having a front row seat to see God move through your listeners. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey dot pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM five sixty mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.